Well, they gathered together behind a closed door. It's quite a unique situation, in fact. Uh, they didn't want anyone to know that they were there. They wanted to make sure that they spoke in secrecy. So they shut the door, they gathered together in a little crowd, and they began to whisper about what they had seen in the events of that day. Uh, Peter piped up and said, there's no doubt. We went, we actually looked inside the tomb, and we saw it. It was empty, and John was there. He verified the whole thing. Peter says, not only was it empty, but we actually saw his grave clothes there. We saw his face cloth right there folded up perfectly, but he was nowhere to be found. And John says, yeah, and Mary Magdalene, she's all talking about how some angel came to her and told her when she came to the tomb early this morning that she was looking for the dead among the living. She literally believes that Jesus has gotten up from the dead. And Peter and John, in a whispered fashion, and those other disciples said, this is nonsense. This is no way that this could happen. And they were fearful in their heart. They were anxious. They were confused about the whole situation, did not know what was going on. And then in the midst of their whispers, something happened. They saw something that would revolutionize the rest of their lives. And I'll tell you this morning that if you see it, it will also revolutionize the rest of your life. So let's look together at what went down behind those closed doors. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. Stand with me, if you will, in honor of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. The Bible says, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they stood, and they literally could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And he said to him, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray together. Father, what a great privilege it is to be in your house this morning. We do ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would grant us the ability to learn from the Word today so that we will be challenged in our walk with you. I pray for those who know you, that they would be encouraged by our time together and for those who still do not genuinely have a relationship with you, I pray that you would call them to yourself today, and we'll give you glory for it this morning. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray, and everybody said, amen, and you can be seated. Easter Sunday is always a great time uh, for a pastor. Uh, we get emails, we get texts all week long leading up to Easter Sunday that say, you better hit a grand slam this Sunday. 
So all the pressure literally seems to fall upon the preacher, but great news is I had the opportunity to preach the resurrection. The resurrection is the greatest story ever told. And so this morning, as we look at the resurrection, I'm just going to elevate a few truths for you that I think will help you as you walk through this passage of Scripture with me. The first thing that I want you to note here is that when it comes to the resurrection, you cannot rely upon your feelings, you must rely upon the facts. You can't rely upon your feelings, you have to rely upon the facts. Now, it's pretty interesting because the disciples were hanging out behind closed doors, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus Christ, in a glorified body, shows up in their midst. He doesn't walk through the door. He just appears right in the middle of their whispering. They were on the edge in this moment of actually allowing their emotions to determine what was real, as opposed to allowing the evidence to declare to them what was real. They were on the verge of allowing their feelings to control them instead of allowing the facts to point them in the right direction. Did you notice the feelings of the disciples? You probably would have experienced the same ones as well, but there were at least three of them. The first feeling and emotion that they would have felt when Jesus appeared is quite simply, this is spooky. Look with me, if you will, in the scripture, verse 36 and 38. While they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. Check this out. But they were startled and frightened. There it is. They were spooked by what they were actually seeing with their eyes. In fact, the word startled means terrified. It means to be caught off guard. And then the word frightened, it means to be intimidated or filled with fear. And the reason that they thought that this was spooky is simply because they believed that they were actually seeing a ghost or a spirit. And so they looked at Jesus and immediately they were filled with fear. That was the first emotion. The second emotion would just simply be, this is outrageous. Now look with me, if you will, at verse 38. Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Can y'all look at the preacher just a minute? You're in a room behind closed doors and Jesus shows up. You're scared and he says, why are you troubled? I got a good reason. But that's the question. Why are you troubled? And then he says, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? The word trouble means to be stirred up with fear. And then you see here he says, arise in your hearts. Why do doubts arise? The word arise gives the imagery of weeds that are actually sprouting up. So Jesus is saying, why are the weeds of doubt growing in the garden of your mind? So they are saying, this is outrageous. This is spooky. Those were the two emotions that they felt to begin with. But then there's a third emotion. And this emotion was just simply what you and I would call, this is too good to be true. It's too good to be true. Look in verse 41 of your Bible. The Bible says, and I read this a hundred times, this is an awesome verse. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. Did y'all notice that? while they still could not believe it because of their joy and their amazement. So they had this idea that this is too good to be true. Now, you and I, we've experienced this emotion as well. I experience it a great deal whenever I watch infomercials late in the evenings. And there are times that I'm watching the television and all of a sudden I've got to get Krista. I'm like, you've got to come in here and look at this. Look at what this vacuum will do. I'm so joyful and excited. It'll pick up cue balls off the pool table. We got to get one. And then we get at home and we discover it's too good to be true. 
that was their emotion. They saw Jesus in their midst. This is spooky. He's got to be a ghost. And then they moved to, this is outrageous. There's no way this can be real. And then they moved to, this is too good to be true. They were on the danger now of allowing their emotions to determine reality. But what's awesome is that Jesus is very patient with us, even when we do not understand. Aren't you grateful for that? And he was supremely patient with them in this text of Scripture. Notice what the Lord Jesus Christ ends up doing with them. Verse 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit, a ghost, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So here in the text, Jesus meets the doubting heart with evidence. Let's move away from your feelings to facts. Let's move away from your emotions to evidence. And Jesus presents with them, first of all, something they can see. Look at my hands. And as they looked at his hands, they would see the nail prints there in his hands where three days before he was nailed to a tree. He said, hey, look at my feet. And they would see there in his feet the nail prints of where Jesus' feet were nailed to the tree. So he said, look, don't just look at them. Come here, come here. Touch them. Feel them. Jesus here is providing for these disciples hardcore evidence of the reality of his resurrection. And I love this reality. Look at verse 41 through 43, what Jesus does next. It says, while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus just got it from the day. He's got a glorified body. And he comes and like, y'all got anything to eat up here? <laughs> kind of hungry. I guess being raised from the dead takes a lot out of you. You know what I'm saying? Needed some protein. And then all of a sudden the disciple says, yeah, we got something. We got. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Here you go. And he took it and he ate it before them. Now, when I'm studying this text of Scripture, I'm like, what in the world? Why do we care? Why is this here? There's some significance. The reason Jesus Christ takes a fish and eats it in front of them is to prove to those who were looking that he was indeed real. It wasn't because he was hungry. It was because he was providing evidence for his disciples. So he says, see my hands, see my feet, and watch me eat. And the fish, I hope you never look at fish differently. But what's awesome is this, right? Whenever you begin to think about fish in the life of Jesus Christ and his ministry, they, it shows up all the time, doesn't it? He calls fishermen to follow him. He takes fish, he feeds 5,000 people, with just a few of them. And here in the text, he's eating some fish. First century persecuted believers are thought to have actually used the symbol of the fish, which is the ichthus. You know that symbol. You see it on the back of cars. You see it on businesses and marketplaces touting a person's Christian stance. It's the ichthus. In fact, one ancient story, according to Alicia Kaufman of Christianity Today, says when a Christian met a stranger in the road, the Christian sometimes drew the ark of the simple fish outline in the dirt. And then if the stranger came and drew the other ark, both believers knew that they were in good company. Now, why are they using a fish in the dirt to show their Christian stance, that they are followers of Christ? Could it be because of this incident in the scripture? You have any 
fish to eat. See, when I preach to church on Sunday morning, I fear that some people may look at the resurrection and you might have the exact same feelings that the disciples did when they saw him. You may say, this is spooky, man, this idea that someone got it from the dead. This is outrageous. There's no way something like this could happen. Or you may even go a step further and say, that's just too good to be true. If you're not careful, you'll allow your emotions to guide you in the wrong direction. Instead of allowing the evidence to display itself. Now, most of us here this morning have a smartphone in our pocket or a dumb phone, right? I got a smartphone here. Could you back up about 20 years and imagine how people must have sounded behind closed doors? Hey, we got an idea. We're going to take a magic box and put it in the pocket of every single person in the world. That magic box is going to have the ability to call anybody without using a wire. That magic box is going to connect to the GPS systems in the satellite areas up in space and actually show that person right where they are and give them directions turn by turn or step by step. That magic box is actually going to be able to receive mail and people are going to stay in contact and they'll be able to send what we're going to call text messages to other people. Now, if you'd have heard that, you'd have said, that's kind of spooky. Matter of fact, that's outrageous. That's too good to be true. But then Steve Jobs shows up, doesn't he? He says, check out what's in my hand. That which we may have thought was spooky, that which me may have thought was outrageous, that which me, we have, may have thought could never happen, too good to be true. Jo Steve Jobs says, here it is. Look what's in my hand. And Jesus says, I know you think it's spooky. I know you think it's outrageous. I know you think it's too good to be true. But look at my hands. Here it is. Evidence. I love C.S. Lewis. I'm reading Mere Christianity with a buddy of mine. And in that particular book, C.S. Lewis gives this quote. We put it on the screen for you. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm not asking anyone to accept Christianity if his best reasoning tells him that the weight of the evidence is against it. I'm not asking anyone to accept Christianity if his best reasoning tells him that the weight of the evidence is against it. See, C.S. Lewis was a former atheist, and he began to examine the evidence of Jesus Christ, his claims and his resurrection. And according to his own testimony, he actually came to faith in Jesus Christ, kicking and screaming because the evidence was so sure. And I fear that some people look at the resurrection and turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ based upon emotion, not upon evidence. Hey, when it comes to the resurrection, don't rely on your feelings. Rely upon the facts. Let me give you a second truth. When it comes to the resurrection, listen to the resurrected Jesus. When it comes to the resurrection, listen to the resurrected Jesus. Verse 44 through 47. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. So as you and I look at this text of scripture, Jesus now is speaking. We don't listen to everybody else's opinions. What does Jesus have to say? Jesus elevates two major things. First, he elevates the uh, message of the Old Testament. 
And then secondly, he's going to elevate the mission of the disciples. So as he elevates the message of the Old Testament, you can imagine him. Jesus says, look, fellas, uh, this is what I told you about. It's written all throughout the Old Testament. And he would point them to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where God made a promise that one greater than Moses would arise and that you should listen to him. And Jesus is like, here I am. And then Jesus would say, look, Isaiah spoke about it. And he would open to Isaiah 53 and he would read, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, pierced through, there it is, pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, chastened for our well-being. And then Jesus would not only move from Moses to Isaiah, the prophet, but then he would move to the book of Psalm. And say, when the book of Psalm talks about me, listen to what Psalm 22 says. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaw. And you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. Check this out. They pierced me in my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare, they divide up my garments and cast lots for my clothing. So Jesus says, it's all there. Listen to the message of the Old Testament. And then the Bible says that he opened their minds to understand. And that's been my prayer for you this morning, that God by his grace would open your minds to understand. And maybe even today, we could see that Jesus was reminding them of what he told them back in Matthew 12 and verse 4, where the Bible says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, Jonah was swallowed up by a sea monster because of his disobedience, but Christ was swallowed up by death because of our disobedience. And then the Bible says that Jonah was in the belly of a sea monster for three days and three nights, and then the sea monster spit him up on dry ground, and the grave spit up the Son of God, Jesus Christ. See, it's right there. Listen to the message. Listen to what they have already said. And then he says, look at my hands and feet. It's very clear. And then he moves to the mission of the disciples. Look at verse 47. It says that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. It's an awesome word here. The word is caruso in the Greek for proclaim. It means to announce, to preach, or to herald. A herald was one who would go ahead of a dignitary and actually tell everyone to get ready for his arrival. So Jesus taught them that they would bear the weight of that great responsibility. Their message was to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ, what they had seen as well as what they had heard. They were to go out and tell everybody about Jesus. Really and truly, that's not only the mission of the disciples here, that's also our mission. You and I as followers of Jesus Christ are to run out with the gospel message of Jesus and share about the repentance of sin. The gospel. It's very simple too, isn't it? In a nutshell, the message that you and I are to herald is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message you share. That's the message that I share. Listen, the Bible teaches us that God created man in his own image. But sin has marred the image of God in us. 
We've all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. The wages of our sin is death. And if you're not careful, you'll try to justify your life by comparing yourself to other people. And you might be fine compared to them. But you're not compared to others, you're compared to a holy God. And we all check up short there. That's why the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. Death is eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. And the Bible teaches that there are many people headed in that direction. And so we go out and warn people that here's how you can be saved. Here's what has happened. God loved us even while we were sinners. He sent Jesus Christ to the earth to go and to die upon the cross. There on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ became your substitute in mine. Jesus poured out his blood for you. To pour out blood means to allow your life to run out. Jesus gave his life for you. God the Father treated Christ the Son on the cross as if he committed all of your sin. There on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God against your sin and mine in his own body. Jesus died for you. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he got up from the dead. And if you will repent of your sin, that means have a change of mind and heart, turn away from your old way of thinking and living, and trust Jesus Christ as your resurrected personal Lord, you can be forgiven of every single one of your sins. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the message that we have. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are not only forgiven, you're also promised an eternal home in heaven. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough for it. You can't be religious enough to attain it. It must be given to you by grace. God offers that. That's the message. You and I have that message. We go out there and we share that message. That's what the disciples did. That's also what we do. Jesus said, go and share. So we do. So when it comes to the resurrection, we listen to the resurrected Jesus. The third reality I want you to see this morning is that when it comes to the resurrection, we share it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look in your Bible, verse 48 and 49. Scripture says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, that you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, this is an awesome promise of Jesus. Jesus says, you guys hang out here. What I told you about back in John chapter 16 is going to happen. God the Father is actually going to send a helper. Jesus said, it's going to be better when I go away because the helper is going to come. He's been with you, but then he will be in you. The Holy Spirit will indwell you and empower you to carry this gospel message to the ends of the earth. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came, took up residence in the life of people. And you better listen to this preacher. The Holy Spirit took so control that they shared the gospel message. And when the people heard, the Bible says they were quickened in their heart. And they said, what shall we do? What must we do? Peter says, repent and come to Christ. And that message continues to echo even down to today. As you see the Holy Spirit taking control of the church in the book of Acts, you see the gospel message leaving Jerusalem, headed to Samaria, headed to Judea, headed to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that gospel message has come all the way to Claremont, Georgia. How did that happen? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather together as a body of believers and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will always share the message of Christ. Always. 
can I encourage you here this morning? Because if you're not careful, you may hear this and say, well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to share the message of Jesus. Well, listen, the Bible teaches that uh, not only did preachers share it, but so did deacons and just normal folk. Us preachers, by the way, we're abnormal. Y'all all right? Somebody says, there's no way in the world I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have the gift set. I don't have the ability to do so. You're exactly right. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. It's not about what you can do. It's about what he can do in and through you. God uses every single follower of his to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? God uses every single follower of his to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We say, oh, we can't do that. You know what we're saying? We don't think the Holy Spirit is sufficient enough to use us. Strong statement that might be. So um, this message got serious for y'all. Y'all all right? Say yeah. I was working out the other day. I know y'all can't tell, but I promise I was. I put those 10-pound barbells down, and I... I was actually having a little pity party. I said, Lord, I ain't been around any lost people lately. Nobody who needs to know Jesus is kind of bumming me out, hanging out down there, you know, on staff at Concord and all them people, they know the Lord. Hanging out with people at church all the time. I just need to get around some people who need to know you. But you got to put some folks in my path. And the Lord says, look to your left. So I look over, and there's a guy I've been working out with for several days. We're in the same room, I should say. He's a big old boy. I said, well, Lord, I see him. Go share with him. Lord, I'm so hot and sweaty, tired. What would I say to him? Just move. So I get up, walk towards him. Get over, big old boy. Walk over there next to him and say, hey, man, what's up? What you doing? Lifting weights. I thought, I thought you might be doing that. I he said, how you doing? I said, man, I'm so hot and sweaty. I'm just wore out. He said, really, you're working out hard? I said, well, I'm not only working out hard. I just got a lot going on. He said, well, what else you got going on? What's it? He said, well, I started this project. He said, really, what's the project? I said, well, my goal is to try to find out what people think it takes to go to heaven. It's been a project of mine for a long time. Y'all all right? Maybe you could help. Tell me this. If you died right now, where do you feel like you'd spend eternity? They said, I go to heaven. Tell me why. I'm a pretty good person. I said, for real. Then he began to share about how good he was. About how he'd given up some weekends for his aunt to help him move. I listened to a story. I said, well, that's pretty good, man. What if I told you, though, the Bible says whenever you die, you'll stand before Jesus and actually be judged based upon his divine law. Would that bother you? Well, I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. You ever told a lie before? He said, yes. If you don't draw, you're a liar. The Bible says liars will have the place of the lake of fire. You ever stole anything before? Sure have. What well, makes you a thief? The Bible says thieves will not inherit the king of God. You ever killed somebody? He said, no. I said, thank you, Jesus. But if you look at a person with anger in your heart, it's considered murder in God's courtroom, Jesus said. Jesus also said, if you look at a woman with, with lust in your heart, it's considered adultery in God's courtroom. 
So, bud, that tells me when you die, you're going to stand before Jesus one day. You're going to be a lying, thieving, mercy, adulterer at heart. What you going to say to him? You going to say, I gave a few weekends up for my aunt? Probably that's going to go so well. Can I tell you how you can be saved? Sins all forgiven? Well, yeah, go ahead. Here's what Jesus It's like, wait, how, how, how in the world do you do that? You just trust the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers you, brings to mind things that you need to say, and actually speaks through you. You can't save nobody. The gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit draws them to salvation. God, by His grace, just lets us get in on it. Stayed up late last night. Couldn't sleep either. I woke up every 30 minutes looking at the clock, thinking, is it time to go? Is it time to go? Y'all make me so nervous about Easter. Couldn't sleep. But I was watching an old black and white film with Billy Graham on television preaching. You ever watched him? And then when they showed the old ones, they're all reruns, but this is an old rerun. And he's up there preaching, going after it too. And throughout the whole message, he says, and I don't know how many times, like, come to Christ. You need to come to Christ. You need to repent and come to Christ. I'm like, I get down with that message. And then I flip over. He's sitting in a chair. He's around 90 years old. And guess what he's saying when the camera zooms in on his face? You need to come to Christ. Repent and come to Christ. That's our message. When it comes to the resurrection, the Holy Spirit will empower you to actually share it. Listen, listen. Do not rush into hell holding on to your emotions about the resurrection. Do not run into hell not having at least examined the evidence of Christ. Do not rush into hell thinking that you are good enough to make it to heaven. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Jesus says, broad is that gate, and many people find it. But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And when you see Jesus, he will revolutionize the rest of your life here on this earth. If your life has not been changed, I don't care how long you've been in church, how many times you've been baptized, if you've not been changed by the gospel message of Jesus and your life's not been altered, you're still on your way to heaven. But God graciously this morning says, come on, come to Christ. It's not too late. Amen. Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, put your hand upon every person here today. Draw people to yourself and we'll give you glory.